0: We had a belly dancer and a clown, a juggler, like latch on to our group.
1: This is what they called their caravan of spectacle. We're at the 1999 World Trade Organization protests in Seattle. Around 50,000 people have gathered in the streets.
2: Thompson, I am uh, live at 4th and University. What you are seeing is that tension spilling the whole over. The world is watching. The whole
1: and in the middle of the group, they had this massive 15-foot-tall puppet. They had to mount the face and hands on two shopping carts to roll down the street. Pieces of flowing cloth connect the head to the hands, making it look like there's a moving body. They called it the goddess of liberation. Scenes that we haven't seen in Seattle in years,
3: decades, perhaps ever.
1: You've got people here from all over.
2: You got labor. You got environmentalists. You got teachers. You've got children. You've got coalitions between people of color. You've got middle class. You got working poor. You got poor. You got everybody out here because this hurts people.
1: They're protesting against delegates from 135 WTO member countries negotiating and deregulating international trade. The WTO essentially oversees trade between different countries. And people feared that more global trade would bring damage to the environment and labor protections. Protesters are marching and chanting with banners and art. They're carrying paper mache globes, dressed in turtle costumes, walking on stilts. Organizer David Solnit called it the biggest puppet intervention in the history of the world. When Jan and his group get to the end of a street with their goddess of liberation puppet, there's a group of protesters.
0: And they were sitting on the ground with the cops kind of all around them, but they weren't moving. And the police had been like pepper spraying them and stuff. And they were told that they had to leave in like five minutes or they were going to get pepper sprayed again.
1: As Jan and his group move closer, something surprising happens.
0: Pretty soon the police realized that this was not a spot where they were going to be able to do what they had planned to do and the police basically backed off and left.
1: They just left. It's like the art and dancing and puppets did something. And it's weird to think that puppets, which we usually associate with kids' theater, are at these serious political protests. Art was a focus in Seattle, with the puppets, the banners, the costumes. They showed the world that protesting could be colorful and vivid and even fun. But protesters were also trying to achieve concrete change by shutting down the conferences. Could puppets do that? And that also brings up another question. What's the role of puppets and art in our protests today? We've seen major protests this year across the country with the Black Lives Matter movement. Art's been at the center from memorials to murals. In Virginia, artists displayed Black Lives Matter projections on a Robert E. Lee statue. And in Colorado Springs, organizers planned a community puppet build for Black Lives Matter we're gonna look at the puppetry and the Seattle protests through three activists and artists involved, David Solnit, Nadine Block, and Jan Berger. For each of them, puppetry and street theater have played such an important role in activism. And as for me, I've always found puppets a little bit creepy. I think it's because they look human, but they're not. In high school, I went to a puppet-making workshop to try and get over this fear. And we ended up watching videos of puppet shows that range from these slapstick comedies to wooden beings gliding to sad violin music. And then I realized that with their bizarre facial expressions and erratic movements, puppets bridge the gap between the imaginary and the world right in front of us. Maybe this makes them especially powerful in protests. They're also art, but not like serious snobby art. They're more accessible.
3: Here's Nadine. If what you want to do is show up and help build a puppet, but you're not sure you're actually going to go out on the streets, come and help us build the puppet. Engage, build community. If you're not a, a protester and all you can do is bring a covered dish a pot to a potluck, you should do that. And here's David.
2: I think the fact that it's handmade, but also, honestly, there's something very surreal and unfamiliar to the authorities about having giant dolls and effigies and surreal images.
1: Giant puppets tower over people. They're literally everything you see. And that gives the protesters more power.
2: At that point, there were no trainings about how do you deal with a crowd of people marching with 16-foot-tall puppets.
1: You can chant and march with banners at a protest, but at the end of the day...
3: You know that old adage of a uh, uh, image is worth a thousand words? Well, then what's a puppet worth? A hundred thousand words? There were the months of preparation leading up to the
1: WTO protests in Seattle. Before that, there was Bread and Puppet, the first radical puppet theater in the U.S. And before that, there were the thousands of years of puppetry around the world. But wait, what even is a puppet?
0: Right, so if you take a thing and you animate it and you're like Doo, do 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 do
2: nah,
1: nah, 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 nah.
0: So it's like the puppeteer is the person who project the life into the object.
1: And that brings the object to life.
0: You know, it, it's
2: magic in a way and that how you move it in the streets, you can actually
0: help create the illusion. We fool ourselves or we're able to be fooled by the puppets. You know, there's part of our brain that says, oh, that's real. And there's part of our brain that says, that's not real. And then then together, they they try to reconcile that difference and it becomes something else, like a new synapse, a new part of our brain. And it's something people have done for thousands of years.
1: Puppetry dates back 3,000 years, and it's been practiced everywhere from India to Egypt to Mexico to Guatemala. David calls puppetry a rebel, working-class, underdog art form.
2: It's often been people performing in the streets for coins, and it's often been one of the spaces, along with clowning and other types of sort of lowbrow theater, where you can actually make fun of authority without getting beheaded or jailed.
1: Puppetry is the safer way of saying dangerous things. It's being like, I didn't say it, the puppet did.
0: Now, what's this I hear about a problem with the college students? What have we done? We've locked them up. I see no problem. The phrase, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, relates to many of us who are deep down in the trenches of debt.
1: In 17th century England, a puppet named Punch satirized kings and God, and then puppet shows were banned. During the Nazi occupation of the Czech Republic, a puppeteer named Joseph Skupa was allowed to continue performing, and he ended up passing coded messages onto the underground resistance. When I was reading about protest puppets, one phrase that kept popping up was radical puppetry, puppetry dedicated to social change. Puppets have been used in protests for indigenous resistance in Mexico and against apartheid in South Africa. The People's Puppets of Occupy Wall Street performed in the subways and on the streets. During the 2000 Republican National Convention in Philadelphia, police even raided a workshop where puppeteers were planning a protest. And when I was reading up on radical puppetry in the US, one theater kept coming up, Bread and Puppet.
0: I grew up going to see Bread and Puppet Theater in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. My parents would take us every year.
1: Thousands of people would sit in these wide grassy fields and watch their shows with these giant puppets.
2: Someone say, water! On
0: fire! Talk to me, Dick Cheney! Tell me all
3: about it! I will! Rocking is the world's best
1: friend! Bread and Puppet brought radical puppetry to the U.S. They started out by protesting against the Vietnam War in the 1960s and then against wars in Central America and the Middle East. Jan, David, and Nadine's lives intersect, and it feels like all roads lead back to Bread and Puppet. Nadine says her visit to the theater solidified her interest in combining arts and activism. Before Seattle, she was working with Greenpeace in the anti nuclear movement. And the anti nuclear movement is actually where David also learned puppetry, with this SF based street theater collective called Art and Revolution. And that is where Jan met David. When Art and Revolution heard about the WTO conferences, they proposed a strategy to all these other radical art collectives along the West Coast.
2: So we put out a call and said, we think we should have mass nonviolent direct action and civil disobedience.
1: Mass direct action is organizing to resist and take collective action. So it's anything from boycotts to marches to voting.
2: And we think we should use art and theater and puppetry at the center of our organizing.
1: Street theater and art would go on to define the Seattle protests. This was a new type of protest. There was mass direct action, consensus decision-making across these diverse groups of protesters, and independent media, like people whipping out their video cameras to do reporting. And a lot of preparation went into the protests. David spent months driving up and down the West Coast with the direct action network.
2: And we would do uh a theater performance about what the World Trade Organization was, how it threatened us, and why we were going to try and shut down the WTO.
1: Nadine camped out at a farmhouse outside Seattle for a week or two before the protest. A fellow Greenpeace alum had founded the Ruckus Society, and they were helping train people in everything from protest safety to nonviolent resistance to puppet making. After the camp, the Direct Action Network, or DAN, rented out a warehouse in Seattle for another 10 days before the protest to make art, train, and organize. When David told Jan about the protests, he drove cross country to meet them all there.
3: I believe it was a bar that we all used as an organizing space. There was the giant art room, there was the food space. They called it the Convergence Space.
1: I imagine this warmly lit converted warehouse filled with cardboard cutouts.
0: Nadine showed us the map of downtown Seattle a day or so after we got there and she said here's here's Seattle and it was all divided into like 13 quadrants and she said each one of our affinity groups will be responsible for blockading one of these quadrants so that the meeting can't happen
1: but wait hold on What's an affinity group? According to Nadine, they were groups within the protesters organized by strategy. There were a bunch of different affinity groups just for blocking intersections.
0: One was like a tripod that would sit and somebody would be up in the top of the tripod and people would sit around them and link arms and make it difficult to move that. Other ones would be like a bunch of college students from whatever university and they would make lock boxes to put their hands into. There was a huge contingent of folks from the Wobblies It's like an anarchist union, (laughs) workers' union. They were hilarious. I mean, I don't mean that derogatory way, but um, I just love getting to see anarchists try to organize um, because they're inherently anti-authoritarian. And I was very surprised because I had never been in an activist event that had that large of an ambition to actually like stop a huge international meeting from happening.
1: In the weeks leading up to the protests, a priority was making the WTO negotiations known to Seattle's public.
3: That was a big piece of the work that we had to do in the beginning was making the invisible visible. And this is a key principle for activists all over the world. You often have to make the problem visible to people who aren't paying attention.
1: The Ruckus Society in particular was doing banner hangs.
3: They were hanging
0: from cranes that were dozens of stories high, way up in the air above Seattle. We
3: hung a banner. Off a crane that had a big graphic image that had an arrow for democracy going one direction and an arrow for the World Trade Organization going the other direction. And then there was the art. Nadine says they were focused on making art central to
1: the planning process for the protests and not just an afterthought.
0: And everyone was teaching each other tricks really fast, like, oh, how did you attach that? And I'll just say, oh, I did this. I used these blah, blah, da. da and so there's like this super fast crash course for everybody and each other's techniques.
1: He helped Nadine build a giant liberation puppet, exactly the one described at the beginning of this episode.
0: We had one that was a huge welded pyramid on wheels, kind of like the pyramid on the back of the dollar bill. We made the big eye, and we had a pyramid with like Bill Gates at the top, like all the humans at the bottom, like holding it up and all like the layers of workers.
1: They also cut out placards into the shapes of skeletons and trees to protest forestry practices. Others made sea turtle costumes to advocate for the animal's protection. And the week before the WTO conferences, they had a parade through downtown Seattle.
2: There's a a quote by Toni Bambara, who's a a Black feminist writer. She said the role of the revolutionary artist is to make revolution irresistible. So our idea was to go out into neighborhoods and to make uh, a street festival that would both educate about the WTO, but also be very enticing and positive so that people would want to join us. And we were calling for not just a protest, but we called it a festival of
0: resistance. And that was one of the most beautiful marches I've ever seen, just Bread and Puppet folks, Ben and Jason, had brought the same boat, which is an old Bread and Puppet puppet, where you have a whole bunch of people holding this piece of cloth. So you create this image of this big cloth boat that people are holding with this big sail coming up, and so it's sailing down through the street.
1: And now, it's protest day.
2: The opening day of the World Trade Organization was on Tuesday, November 30th, and starting before the sun came up, And it was pouring rain
1: protesters came from all over the world there were anarchists union organizers farmers students and even ultra right-wing anti-globalists
2: and there were marches one from the the ocean and one from up on capitol hill
1: there was a carnivalesque atmosphere with everyone surrounding the convention center
3: carrying art using puppets as road blockades there were like i said giant Puppets with, you know, the goddess of liberation coming down. There were um, the grim reapers and uh, images of death and destruction. There was a fabulous pyramid-shaped puppet that we had made, you know, with the evil eye, <laughs> the watchful capitalist eye on it. Um, there was uh, the radical cheerleaders in creative costumes of all kinds. Uh, With cheers about my back is aching, my bras too tight, my booty shaking from left to right. You know, like you just like (laughs) sound off revolution. So, yeah, it was beautiful.
1: And then something else amazing happened. Thousands of people who weren't from the affinity groups who hadn't had any contact with Dan before the protests saw the marches and started joining in.
2: We transformed it from being an organized resistance into being a public uprising.
1: David said so many people joined because they had this contagiously positive, welcoming attitude. And Nadine said that people were drawn to and inspired by the beauty of the art. But why is that?
0: We're gonna make this gigantic effigy of a human or of, a, or of an ideal. And we're gonna put all of our artistic love into it. That in itself is a spectacle. You know, it's kind of like, imagine if you brought the biggest birthday cake to the streets. It's big, it's beautiful, it's delicious. It's showing that people care enough and it's not just sort of like a one-off, like, hey, I'm just coming to this thing and I'll I'll hold my printed sign that somebody else made. You know, it shows that there's an authenticity to it, that these are real people. This is a real puppet.
1: So these groups of thousands and thousands of people kept marching.
2: And then all the affinity groups and clusters deployed to their pie slices, and so by, by the time the sun was up, people had completely surrounded and blockaded the World Trade Organization. This is Western and Virginia, so you can see that protesters are already making their presence known here. They pretty much shut down. <laughs>
0: They said the police, as you can see, state trooper, state patrol right now are trying to uh, maneuver him through.
2: I think it's pretty clear
3: from the picture we're looking at, things are far from under control. People swarmed all over these buses and um, city dumpsters and dump trucks and things like that. People were on top of them, dropping banners on them, using them as drumming platforms. People before profits. People before profits. People before profit and before all things. Life! 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 Life!
1: It sounded almost like a block party with people dancing and bringing boom boxes. In a CityLab article, York University sociologist Leslie Wood said the protest symbolized a shift for organizers. They realized that protests didn't have to be boring, and they accomplished something that surprised everyone.
3: We we always say we're going to shut something down, and we hardly ever are able to shut something down. And we, by noon, I think that they had basically called the meeting off for the day, um, you know, and uh, it was just a remarkable moment.
1: But while there was a party atmosphere and protest success, there were also police and violence.
0: We, we nicknamed them the, the Ninja Turtles because they looked really intimidating. They had very kind of like fancy brand new gear.
1: And then he saw tear gas start flying.
0: And I was very surprised because I had heard of tear gas back in like the sixties and stuff, but I guess I had never dawned on me that it would get used in my lifetime. And ha ha ha, see how things have changed.
3: Nobody gave us any warning, they trapped us in the box and they doused us Get with tear gas. Get
1: back, the 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 Your normal rights don't apply this week in Seattle, apparently. Um, Why is that? Uh, because we're winning. By the end of that first day, David says the city had called out the National Guard and declared a state of emergency.
0: You know, that evening, famously, the downtown area became a running battle zone with people breaking windows and tussling with the cops in some way or another.
1: Police were using tear gas and rubber bullets and flash grenades.
0: My friend Noah, like, gave me a hug and I just started crying and, you know, I was just, like, emotionally spent. And I I think I went to my friend's house and slept on her bed with pepper spray all over me, which is a terrible thing to do. But I was so exhausted. Part of emotional stress was just, like, seeing people coming into the convergence space with, with, like, bad wounds. Somebody at the protest lost an eye
1: The next day, all three still went downtown to protest. They brought whatever banners and puppets that they didn't lose from the night before. But with martial law, no one was actually allowed to protest. According to Jan, it ended up becoming this silly cat and mouse game with the cops.
2: We outmaneuvered the cops for the first couple hours as more and more people gathered. Police surrounded a couple hundred of us and started doing mass arrests.
0: There's a police line that stopped us and they were super agitated from what had gone on the day before. The police captain was trying to hold them back from doing anything and finally was just like, all right, go get them. And they charged at us and knocked us over, pinned us to the ground and arrested us.
1: According to Nadine, the
3: police surrounded them and then tear gassed and pepper sprayed them. I looked at the riot gear police and I thought, I need to leave, right, to get out of there so I I don't lose my baby. And so I went up and I, in hindsight, I now think about this quite differently. I went and I saw there was a woman officer. And so I went up to the woman officer and I said, look, I'm pregnant and I'm not intending to get arrested. I really need to get out of here. And she took her baton and she smashed it on me and pushed me back. Then they got put on buses
1: and taken to what Nadine calls this processing station. It was on the outskirts of town
3: away from the media. And they sat there for hours. And under the cover of darkness, in fact, they started coming on the buses and tear gassing or pepper spraying people to get them to move off the buses.
1: Jan's experience was a bit different.
0: When we got there, the mood was really celebratory. Like people were dancing and singing, being really loud. And the police were like, oh my God, what do we got going on? And on the fly, these cops decided to take me and this other woman and just drove us down the street and led us off on the side of the road and said, today's your lucky day. David
1: and Aideen weren't as lucky. They ended up staying in jail for the rest of the week. Maybe this showed that sometimes art isn't enough to address the violence and brutality faced when protesting. Police took banners people were holding. Puppets were left in the street. And most of the art was lost forever. In jail, David, Nadine, and the rest of the protesters had strategies
3: to keep each other safe. Some of us had already done some jail time in our lives. (laughs) Some of us had not even considered ourselves activists. Like I just said, you know, there were people who were just walking around on the street who got popped with us. At one point in a jail cell, we all did what we called a puppy pile on top of someone they wanted to pull out for some reason. According to
1: Nadine, actions like these kept people's spirits up. And outside the jail, protesters were still organizing. On the third day, the rest of them decided to have another march downtown with the puppets and banners they had left. They would go to a rally by the waterfront and continue marching to the jail.
0: The media was just so hyped from all this craziness that when we came down the hill, we had the big liberation puppet because we had not let that get lost in the streets.
1: And they gagged the liberation puppet to show that the protesters were being silenced. They also had a skeleton puppet, a tree, salmon, banners.
0: And when we came down the hill, we were, kind of had a line of police on motorcycles behind us, but in front of us we had like dozens and dozens of people from the press all over the world You know, that kind of gives you an iron shield of
3: protection.
1: And they set up an encampment outside the jail. They wouldn't leave until everyone
3: was released. You could hear people outside chanting and shouting. There was great jail solidarity. David said increased public support
1: and media attention put even more pressure on the authorities. Back in the jail, the protesters also had a set of agreements.
2: And we said, We were going to non-cooperate. We refused to give our names and we didn't bring ID with us. So they had hundreds of people in jail that they had no idea who we were. So that gave us a lot of leverage.
1: This leverage ultimately let them negotiate meetings with their lawyers, who negotiated with the city prosecutor. David said they agreed to give names if everyone was released with equal treatment.
2: So that was uh, somewhat of a victory in that being locked in cages, which is designed to take all your power away, we were able to assert a lot of power and have the power of people still out in the streets. So I want to
3: sing a song about a time-honored American tradition and that's civil disobedience.
1: The Seattle protesters actually shut the meetings down. They did something, and it marked this new era for activism. Since then, protesters have been using strategies seen in Seattle, like art and costumes and giant puppets, on-site media and mass direct action, at Occupy Wall Street, the People's Climate March, and the Women's March. There was a place for art in protest.
2: It wasn't just us and our bodies up against these armed cops with chemical weapons and clubs and rubber bullets, but we also had our art and our culture that we had made, so I think it helped people hold strong in the face of a lot of uh, violence and repression.
1: The protest against the 2003 WTO meetings in Cancun, Mexico, featured a Maya God puppet. In Kenya, a popular satirical puppet show called The XYZ Show has spoken out against corruption and impunity since 2009, racking up over 10 million views on YouTube. Brennan Puppet still puts on multiple shows a year, and so does Paperhand Puppet Intervention, the radical puppet theater Jan co-directs with Donovan Zimmerman. They were founded a year before the Seattle protests.
0: One of the ways that it felt like we succeeded in Seattle is we showed ourselves to be more beautiful than the police. We were less violent.
1: In light of the police violence, the Seattle police chief actually resigned right after the protests. David said Seattle organizers also helped set up Dan chapters across the city, which then spread across the country. That next April, another protest with mass direct action was organized against the IMF World Bank meeting in D.C.,
2: all our issues were connected. They were all caused by the same system of corporate capitalism and corporate globalization.
1: And for what felt like the first time, Seattle
3: placed that understanding onto a world stage. I had been protesting international financial institutions in the U.S. before this. We get a few hundred people, like hardly anybody's paying attention. It was the fact that we changed the narrative in the United States about these international financial institutions. Seattle paved the way for what modern protests would look like. Banners,
1: art, citizen journalists, and, according to Nadine, mass amounts of people willing to take greater risks—
2: I like to brag that had it not been for people making giant puppets out of old cardboard boxes and house paint, we would not have been able to shut down what aspired to be the most powerful institution on the planet, the WTO. Smiling! Smiling! Smiling. Smiling. Fighting! Fighting!